This episode is sponsored by Better Help. What is the first thing that you would do if you had an extra hour in your life? Oh, the first thing I just thought was, oh, I'm going to need more than an hour to fit that stuff in. But uh, the fact is a lot of us spend our lives wishing that we had more time. I know that is for me. That's a big thing, uh, especially you get older. <laughs> um, and the question, you know, time for what? What would you do? Would it actually make you feel better? What is it that you feel you're missing in order, you know, that that would make it better? Um, and and one of the ways to sort of help figure out that out is is therapy. It can help you find out what matters most to you so you can do more of it or focus on what it is that you're spending your time on that that maybe isn't giving you that that sort of fulfilling experience. Um, and it's interesting because a lot of times people talk about therapy or they talk about mental health or it's about uh, trauma or it is about, you know, like like a, a great amount of pain or anything. And those things are all very valid and everything. But also, you know, in some ways there's stumbling blocks. Uh, there is sort of a, a, something indefinable that you're having a hard time getting to that maybe is stopping you from feeling as confident as you can, as good as you can. And, you know, therapy uh, is, is one way to go after that. If you are thinking of starting therapy, you can give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online, is designed to, be, designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire, you'll get matched with a licensed therapist. You may switch therapists at any time you like for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today to get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. This is iFanboy Pick of the Week 845, brought to you by iFanboy listeners just like you. Hello, welcome to iFanboy Pick of the Week, episode 845. My name is Connor Kilpatrick, and this is my co-host, Josh Flanagan. That is me. That's right. I am that guy. I look down and I notice there's a, like an eyelash on my microphone, <laughs> and it's going to bug me, but if I take it off, you're all going to hear it. Is it? Is it another man's eyelash? It might be. <laughs> Someone bitten. Somebody else is podcasting in my house. And it's some other kind of really bad podcast. <laughs> right. I used to have an answer for what that is, but now I don't. It's probably just two dudes sitting around talking about their opinions on some shit. They're not qualified. Oh, crap. It's like a super macho like podcast about bodybuilding. <laughs> I get served Instagram reels about that kind of thing, and mm-hmm. I don't know how to make it stop. We got to stop but, posting gym videos. I, there was a. I don't feel like I tag it or anything. There's nothing that's would, that would say that. The machine knows, Josh. I, oh, it totally does. But like one of them was like, listen, you should only deadlift if what you want to do is deadlift. You go into professional sports and you, know, you don't see anybody deadlifting. And I was like, wait a minute. Have you been podcasting in my house? Yeah, it was me. Also, I'm fucking ripped now. I'm so swole. <laughs> so we are iFanboy. And believe it or not, every week we read a bunch of comics and one of us picks a favorite book called The Pick of the Week. We'll talk about that book. We'll talk about other books for the week. We talk about the patron pick. We try to have some listener mail time, and I think we're going to have it this week. I'm not guaranteeing it, but no comics came out, so I'm hoping we're going to have listener mail time. Here's your spoiler warning. This is a review show. I should have some caution. So, Josh, you had to pick this a fifth week in which hardly any comics came out. So, good luck. 
I managed to I managed to tack some together, and luckily this pick of the week has eight stories in it. So I mean, we could really <laughs> really run this out. Uh, pick of the week is Amazing Fantasy number one thousand. Um, of course, uh, Amazing Fantasy number fifteen was the first appearance of Spider Man way back in nineteen sixty two. Three. And then uh, let's see, nine hundred and forty-five ep- issues later, here we are. Yeah, uh, and I, Wait, I think we should point out before you dig into these mini stories is that okay. this this is a totally made-up number. I mean, yeah. this is this is not like they took all the Spider-Man issues and added them together. They, this is just made up. This is Spider-Man's sixtieth anniversary, and so this is this is what they did. And if you don't know that, it makes it even better. Um, so I actually saw this, and for some reason, I thought it was a um, like a reprint. I thought sure. it was something that had already happened before. Actually, if you look on the title page, that's a terrible, really boring cover. Um, I think probably why I thought that, because it looks like a reprint. The uh, cover is boring, but I like the drawing. Yes, I agree with you. But uh, And then when you go to the inside, the font that they use is the Fantastic Four font, but also the iFanboy font. An amazing right. fantasy number. Which 1, we should be clear, we've, we've licensed. Yes, we did. Um, but yes, well, why? Why? Well, I guess you know, Fantastic Four font really is kind of Marvel's font, so I guess that's why. Sure, it. sure. It yeah. just, I just, I was like, this looks like one of our things. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a reprint. Then you said it's in the running for uh, patron pick, pick. Yep. and I, I, um, I went, oh, I guess I have to read it, and then I realized I like, go, it's long. I was like, oh no, but but straight away, first thing, uh, I actually read like late last night. Uh, I read the first story and I was like, I'll get to the rest of it tomorrow. Cause it was the only thing I had left to read. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that first story, I was like, oh, this is pretty great. <laughs> it yeah. was, uh, it was um, just some guy. It was called by Anthony Falcone and Michael Cho uh, art by Michael Cho, whose art you do not see sequentially very much. I've seen a lot of pinup work from him. Great artist. He's a great um, Instagram follow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's like this really charming little story about this just, one guy who has Paulie Walnut's haircut and he, he has a track suit and he's a little, he's like a thief and he keeps getting caught by Spider-Man. And what's great is that like he ages over the years and you're like, isn't Spider-Man supposed to be 80 here? You're like, let it go. It doesn't matter. <laughs> let it go. But it was super, super charming and fun. And I mean, Michael Cho's art is wonderful. Yeah. Uh, he's vaguely related to a Darwin cook school, but he well, has they're, both, they're both from Canada. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, he's, he's got his own pop art feel. One um, of one of Darwin. I'll just tell a story. One of Darwin's, as as Darwin was dying, as he was, knew, you know, he was sick with didn't and knew he wasn't going to make it. He his friends would come over and draw with him. You know, like uh, all red and people like that. They'd come over and they would sketch. And he kept taking commissions, not commissions, but like jobs, like covers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Even though he knew he was he was sick and dying, and somebody asked him why does he keep taking jobs? And he said, Well, I can't let Michael Cho get everything. Because he <laughs> he knew that this was the kind of like the next guy in that school, yeah. You know? So he was he was holding Michael Cho off with a stick. It's <laughs> really good. So I get to the second story, and it's uh, Dan Slott, Jim Chung, uh, um, J. David Ramos on colors, Joseph Bino. Joseph Bino uh, lettered most of this, but whatever. Uh, and it's uh, I, I, I expected nothing. Mm-hmm. And what you've got is. Um, Spider-Man here, 
Jim Chung, another guy who's just amazing, who doesn't do a lot of interiors anymore, but you know, like when he does, they're super special. Yes. Um, and I remember one time we we ran into him at Comic Con, and, and he he said hi to us, and he, I guess he knew the show mm-hmm. or whatever. And I was like, "Do you want to be on it?" He's no, <laughs> just completely uninterested in talking to me about it. A lot of artists that yeah. do that. A lot no, of artists I, I, talk. I, I, it wasn't like a it wasn't a big time thing. He's like, I just don't want no, that no, to be we, part of my. Thing. I was just explaining to the people yeah. that over the years, yeah. back when we did do interviews at cons. We mostly talk to writers because mostly writers like to hear themselves talk, and mm-hmm. a lot of artists are shy. So I always think of that, and then, um, but when I see his art, I'm always really happy. And this is actually a little more. I love the way that he draws Spider-Man in this, but it's oh, because it's so we find good. out this is Spider-Man's 60th birthday. Yeah, and a woman who we can assume is Mary Jane, but it's a little hard to tell because he doesn't say her name, and she has gray hair. And no is dimples. waiting for him. What the hell, um, Michael? Jo- no, yeah. Michael jo- uh, but I, I like that choice. Like they aged her, and that's what would happen to her hair, and, and that's kind of cool. And uh, and he gets in this fight, you know. And she's like, "You're always late on your birthday." He's like, "I know." And then he's like, "I promise I'll be right there." And then he hears somebody else calls for help, so he 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 goes and helps that person. And like Omar Little, a kid shoots the shit out of him, <laughs> right? And he ends up in the hospital, and they don't know who to call. And Mary Jane sees it on the news, so she gets there. But there's a big line of people who are there to. Uh, uh, thanks, Spider-Man, for all the things that he's done over the year. And again, he's an old man, but he looks great, by the way. Well, he's in good um, shape. He, the spider helps. But yeah. I, I did like that there were all these little things, like the mm-hmm. EMT guy and the do- doctor. They're all like, no, we don't take his mask off. Yeah, like, no, I, I like that. Spider-Man. He, right. He, and yeah, they yeah. totally respected him. I think it's really funny that like it's totally unrealistic that like there's a line around people around the block and they let them in. Sure. It's total, but it What kind of drugs could they have? Or infections. Who cares? It, but Into it doesn't matter go. because it was super sweet. And well, this is the story, Josh. By the time I, I so I read this, and by the time I got to this one, I was like, okay, so oh yeah, if this isn't the pick of the week, well, that was it. Like I, I read the first, this short this story, and I went, well, that's the pick of the week. It was. I mean, this is was. such a love letter to Spider Man. This I, comic. I mean, obviously, I, that's what it's designed to be. But Jesus Christ, this is a terrific. It issue. was, and he did it in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight pages, nine. No, pages. I mean, the whole thing was a love right. letter. Right? No, I know, the but whole... like this story specifically was the thing that ticked me over into the column. It was just this story. If I read one comic that was ten pages and it was this story, I would have made a pick of the week. You're on the dance lot train now. I oh, I don't man this is this is when when she finds him in the hospital mm-hmm. like I I got misty I was yeah. like holy shit like I really felt it and and you know the fact that I and I also thought up until like the, the last page <laughs> I thought they killed him I was like Jesus but then it was a great joke I mean you know they hear the they hear <laughs> the machine go e and the flat yep. line and you go and he he's not dead he's jumped out the window to stop a mugging in his gown, or anyone who's been in the hospital wore one of those gowns knows there's no coverage. So there's Spider Man, sixty year old ass flip, flopping in the wind during the. Uh, that was very funny. It was great. I, 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 it was. I mean, that was. It was just a joyful story, and it's like, oh my goodness, they survive, and he still does his thing, and that makes me feel good for some reason. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're still together, and you, you know, you get that. Um, we'll go through the rest of the stories. That was really the one, though. The Sinister yeah. Sixty. Uh, the first two. And there yeah. was a, I mean, there's like there, there was a yeah. there was one or there were two that I skimmed. Okay, so Spider Man versus the uh, Conspiraton uh, was written by Armando Iannucci, who is uh, one of my favorite TV writers of all time. He mm-hmm. he was showrun uh, Veep. He wrote um, the I'm Alan Partridge TV show, which is one of my favorite things I've ever watched. Uh, he did it in the Loop. He's done a bunch of stuff, 
and it was fine. Ryan Stegman, the art really just kicked ass on this. I thought uh, was great. Yeah, it, was, it was an interesting idea that there was this thing that made it everyone see the Daily Bugle, however they wanted to see it. Right. So, so like, all, but you it, know. it was a comment on media. And yeah, it was fine. And, and and what I think that what happens is sometimes you'll have a quote unquote celebrity person come in and they're like, "I'm going to tackle this issue," and I was like, "You don't need to." Just tell a Spider-Man story. Just tell a Spider-Man story. Everybody is tackling these issues all the time. And they're doing it more um, subtly. It, this is the thing that happens a lot. And, like, it was funny or whatever, but, I, you know, it wasn't great. I thought yeah. Ryan Stegman really did a great, yeah, great, great, great Spider-Man. He's, he's made for that guy. Um, you have uh, a really fun rainbow role, uh, Olivia Coipel, uh, Matthew Wilson's story, which which – was really fun to read and I and I liked it an awful lot, but also was the one the whole time that I was like, this art, this combination of art and color is sublime. Oh, beautiful. Like it, I was I mean, I love Olivier Coipel, but Matthew Wilson coloring Olivier Coipel, I was like, give me this. Oh my god. It's it's every frame of this is beautiful. The first it, page is just him sitting on the yep. on the roof eating eating a pistachio ice cream and I was just like, yes. And it's a great short story, one yes. note gag, yep. um, and it's totally Spider Man, but it's out of left field. But but, it, I mean, but it had a lot of great character stuff. You know, yep. this, is, this is back when he's young, he's dating Betty Brant, and then there's a bet where you know nothing's going on in the city. He, there's no crimes, so Peter goes around taking artistic shots of the city and people like in the summertime and like you know New York in the summer. And he gives the Jonah. Jonah's like, "What the fuck is all this? I don't want any of this shit." He was Spider Man pictures, but then R- Robbie picks it up at the very end and says, "Let's clear some space." Like Robbie recognizes Peter's talent. Like it was all had all great character bits within like the five pages of whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that double page spread where where uh, Jonah yells at him. Mm-hmm. Look at the look at the movement on that. The pages and the pictures are flying everywhere as he swings them. He's yelling, so you've got motion lines coming out of his mouth. All of the stuff up in the air isn't really supposed to be the pictures, you know, mm-hmm. like flying, but it, no, no. it represents that. Yeah. Peter is leaning back a little bit from it. It's just but he's also used to it. Like he's not he's not freaking yeah. out. I I just mean like the motion of no, the no, thing. No, I'm just saying and there's the, so much goodness, good stuff right. in here. And the stuff. and the like the word balloons follow it up through so you get to read everything. I mean, that is one hell of a page. This I mean, I I really I I keep going back to it like this art. And I like the art in the rest of it totally, but but that one was extra special. Yes. Uh we, we have this story here by uh Hochi Anderson. I don't know who this is. Didn't really like it. No, this, that was one of the ones I skimmed. I was like, I'm... Giuseppe Comancoli yeah. art. And he was actually Spider-Man artist for a long time. Um, a weird little story that ended up being kind of charming uh, was uh, Slaves of the Witch Queen by Kurt Busiek <laughs> and the Dodsons. And the idea was that uh, in the old days, comic books had two bits. That's why it was called uh, Amazing Fantasy, because there'd be a front story and a back story. Yep. And this is a continuation of the second story in that that didn't have anything to do with Spider-Man, as I understand it. Yeah, that, and uh, once I figured that out, I was like, okay, Kurt. You're being cute. He was, and I was annoyed by it. But then, by the time I got to the end of it, I really liked it. No, I it liked the idea. It was a good story. Dotsons are great, and Kurt's a yep. great writer. But at first, I was like, "Come on, this is this is this is the Spider-Man comic, I, not the cute comic." I had the same thing, I, I, it, but I was like, "He pulled it off." Like he he got me within those few pages. Came yeah. around. Uh, you got a Jonathan Hickman story, which I, I loved. It was I great. Loved Martha this Chichetto. Jonathan. It was terrific. Yep. 
uh, like it's this council of Spider-Mans, and they, they fuck with him, and I totally believed it. <laughs> and they all start laughing. It was brilliant. It was, they all made Peter think that he was the only fuck-up Spider-Man in the universe. They all had their lives together. They all had great lives, and they were rich and happy, and Peter's like, oh, fuck, I'm the only screw-up Spider-Man in the whole multiverse? And yeah. they're like, no, we're just kidding. We're all fucked. <laughs> But you, like three of the five pages were them fucking with us. <laughs> it was good. And then look at that final drawing from yep. Marco Chichato, Spider-Man, jumping. Yep. And this is, this, this, this was a tour de force color. Great color. Great yeah. color on that one too. Yeah. That's what we should mention. That's uh, Frank Martin. Great stuff. Uh, finally, you've got, um, I wrote Steve McNiven, but it's Neil Gaiman yep. uh, with great power. And this is really more of an autobiographical thing. Because um, when Neil Gaiman says he wanted to do a thing, you put it in your book. Yeah. Um, really interesting Steve McNiven art. I, I couldn't have told you this was. Oh him. yeah, great Steve McNiven art. Um, yeah. You know, and it basically tells the story of you know young British lad uh, from Sussex uh, who's clearly Neil Gaiman. You know, finding Spider Man, but that Spider Man comes and talks to him and mixing reality and fantasy. And then we cut to the future where um, <laughs> it's funny because he doesn't name Jonathan Ross, yes, but it's Jonathan Ross uh, yeah. when they go to Ditko to try to meet him, and and it doesn't Jonathan work Ross out. Jonathan Ross made a documentary about Ditko, yeah, searching for Ditko or something like that. Yeah. Um, and and I've seen this little clip of the two of them, but this is sort of the part that you didn't get to see. Um, but also in this, there's the fantasy of actually Spider-Man being in there and pretending like he well, doesn't know. Well, the magical realism, right? That's yep. what Neil Gaiman does. And so yep. Spider-Man is like a character in his life. And I've seen – I'm, I'm a huge fan of him. Not necessarily mm-hmm. all of his work, but him as a person and a writer. Mm-hmm. I've seen him speak twice in my time living in L.A., and one of them was fairly recently. And he talked a lot in that one about his childhood fandoms. And he's a huge – Batman and Spider-Man fan. Uh-huh. Like, he just loves those characters. And the little bit here about him as a kid reading Spider-Man comics and Spider-Man showing up and being real and losing the Spider-Man toy, and that was the whole button on the story. Like, I thought this was a terrific story. I, I gotta say, by the way, if you're gonna talk about something that brings me back, is that he got an iron-on patch out yes. of the the magazine, and I was like, oh, shit, that did used to be a thing. And he put it on his shirt, and he wore it out, and I was like, I did that. And it was a thing, like, <laughs> it does not exist anymore. Nope. And I don't, I don't want to turn this into two old men reminiscing, but as like a thing that puts you in a time and place and I could smell it, I could tell what it felt like under my fingers. Um, I thought it was really cool. Uh, yeah. And then there's one more story we didn't oh, yeah. put in the script that was written by uh, Mike Pasquiolo, who was oh, the, right, yeah. the uh, he was a Marvel marketing VP and he, he had pitched a book and uh, they didn't do it but they had taught noak draw part of it for this and it was you know it was okay i, I hate to say it criticized but it, uh, this is one of the ones i kind of skimmed i was like i don't really yeah. but it was know, very long it was just nice, a few pages you know, in nice there. to put them in the book to sort of put them along alongside these big yeah. big names um I, I finished this up and i was like god damn it this is why i love superhero comics like this yeah. issue was like all of the joy that you find reading these books was I, in this issue I don't know exactly why, but a lot of these sort of anniversary issues, made up or not, you know, they'll they'll just take a bunch of people and they put stuff in it, and it's usually, it's usually like it's great, and then it kind of falls off. But this character has such traction, and you know, people want to do it, and you know, for the most part, you know, the, the quality was very high here compared to other anthology type issues like this. And, and, the thing and, is, and like, also, this is what all anniversary comics used to be which i mm-hmm. loved i love these anthologies but now with the trades they have to sort of keep them in the story you know mm-hmm. you can't have be having that collected edition all of a sudden in the middle of it you've got a 40 page anthology so they, they kind of there's always like one story that has to be in 
continuing things on. So it feels less special. This feels like the comics used to be, and I really liked it. Yeah, it was it was just it was super enjoyable, and and like I said, as soon as I read that Dan Slot story, I was like, that's enough. <laughs> if this doesn't fall off the cliff, then I don't know. And and when I looked back at the other books, and was like, well, the first I, two I, I back to back, like the first yep. two, like we were strong out the gate. Um, and then you know yeah. the third one's okay. Then then Rainbow Rowell again strong, and then uh, okay, and then the, then then three strong. It was like wow, okay, yeah. I was really happy reading it. And it was just you know it was your love letter to Spidey thing, but but yeah, for me. Um, like the just some guy story was really fun and cute and whatever you know Sinister Six threw me over the top mm-hmm. Olivia Coipel and Rainbow Rowell you know just it's just so many good things in here it was you nice know, to see Rainbow Rowell in with all these heavy hitters oh yeah I'm hoping she gets I mean I, I didn't read the Runaways but I did I've, I've you know read some of her some, some some things here and there and then you talk to her like i'm hoping she gets to do as much as she wants to do because clearly she's very very good at writing oh comics. yeah she's and she's like she's a marvel kid yeah and so she, she's got if it. She she's only gonna to, get better give her give her more work yep i say so there's your your pick of the week rainbow give me 10 percent. <laughs> i read thunderbolts number one i wasn't planning on it but Nothing came out this week. So I was like, all right. I'll try Thunderbolts number one. It's a five-issue miniseries written by Jim Zub with Sean, art by Sean Isaacs, who had done the Fantastic Four book with Mark Russell that we really liked. Okay. He was, he's a good artist. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, I had forgotten. I looked at the cover, and I was like, okay, I don't really know who most of these people are on the cover other than Hawkeye and what the fuck is he wearing. Although it's closer to his old suit. Oh, I thought, okay, at least that's mostly Hawkeye. That's what I thought. We're going to get to that, the costume, in a second. I don't hate the costume. I just like, what's going on? Um, I had forgotten that this is sort of tying into the whole Daredevil story in which yeah. Wilson Fisk was the mayor, and then he was deposed, and then Luke Cage became mayor. And while uh, Wilson Fisk was the mayor, he made the Thunderbolts his sort of squ- his army, his squad of super, super enforcers. They were all villains. And so now Luke is back. Luke briefly also led the Thunderbolts yep. in their 2000s. So Luke calls on Clint to say, Clint, come come run my Thunderbolts team. It's the only team of superheroes allowed in New York, which is silly and stupid, but whatever. We'll take it as the, as the idea. And you guys are going to sort of clean up the city. And so that's the basic concept. Of, so they're like a government-sponsored well, team. The other bit of it is also a marketing push and so there's like a consultant person who's like no you gotta have this person on the team for this yeah. you know it's built this way they're trying to work on the the image and you know luke's thing was like well you know it's not an like, organic this- team it's a team no. from, put together by a marketing firm and then the you know the other thing is that uh you know uh, he's like you were my guy you're the first person i chose and he wasn't monica rambo was the first one right. and i actually remember in one of the issues he'd mentioned that um you know it's it's dysfunctional team get them back together this is hot. This is Clint Barton in here. I'm, I'm going to give him I that. I wanted to ask you because so not only are you a Clint, Clint guy, but you were also a Thunderbolts guy. People mm-hmm. who don't know, like you, you love the original book is one of your favorite yeah, all time yeah. books, and like you love that Thunderbolts book. So I, I, I liked it. You've been you loved it. So I was curious to see what a you thought of this Clint. Is this more of a Clint or is this more of a Hawk guy situation? Or I thought it's a nice melding, but I definitely mm-hmm. saw Clint here. He's like a little older. He's trying to get the band back together. He's like, we should do West Coast Avengers again. Oh, and I, I was that. like, I was like, I buy that. And so then this came up, and he's like, all right, we'll do that. And he he's like, I'll call up Vision, Wanda, Wonder Man. You know, it's like, no, that's not what this is. And, you know, but I, and I and I dug that. I you know, it's a little, uh, uh, you know, 
he's a little down and out or he's just trying to figure out where he lands next and you know been through this it's the same hawkeye that we recognize from the other stuff he's just trying to be somewhere one of the things i like about thunderbolts is that it's proven to be a really malleable concept i can think of a few True. different versions of it um you know there was during secret invasion there was the they were all villains who were playing as the heroes so like hawkeye was bullseye and right, right. Uh, i forget the others but it is a very elastic elastic concept yeah i think it really works that way it's a little like suicide squad in a way um and then you but but there's always that hero villain thing going yes, on that's the constant and you know like clint barton was a villain in his first appearance ba- ba- barely but th- you know that was the deal um although i guess here there isn't real i mean no, I know, but we don't know yet. I mean, that's the thing. So, so famously, yeah. the end of the first issue of the first Thunderbolts, or maybe, I don't even know if it was the second issue, because this week also, they released a Thunderbolts uh, collection, and I read the first couple of um, Busick um, mm-hmm. uh, Bagley issues, uh, just because I wanted to. That's right, it was Bagley, I forgot about that. Yeah, and uh, as first Bagley, I knew. And, and uh, you know, it's great. It's super sort of fun, and there's no giveaway. There's a little, actually, there's a couple little giveaways in it if you know what's going to happen. But when you turn to that last page, it was a, it was a total surprise that they were actually supervillains. And I have to assume that. I mean, I, I guess I don't have to assume, but if you're doing this, I would I would try to put that in here somewhere. There has to be some big reveal of something isn't what you think it is. Well, so the team is led well, ostensibly led by Clint, although <laughs> Luke tells Monica, "Yeah, you're kind of the leader." <laughs> really yeah uh so it's it's clint and monica sort of co-leading this team with america chavez uh the new power man which i forgot was a thing uh, one know. of Kilgrave's daughters who's apparently now like 27 like how, how did that like they were all just kids that's a great but she's a great one because she's, she's like, a good addition she's a yeah. chaotic element and then there's two other characters who i don't one of them is like know. one's like cable yeah, I like Cable, but they won't tell him what his power is. And I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense. He wouldn't it's tell everything the guy about it was classified. Him. Right. It's a, it's a gag. Yeah. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of Jim Zub. Um, mm-hmm. I, it tends to be a little uh, milk, milk toast for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought this was pretty well done. I don't think it was the greatest book ever, but I had fun reading it. I'll read the next one. I, I always find, I mean, I know it's the thing, but like at this point, I feel like new heroes shouldn't be looking down on Clint. I agree with I that. I feel like old heroes. That's like when you and I bust balls, but like, yeah. I feel like new guys in, in in the scene shouldn't be making fun of Hawkeye, yeah, the guy but, who was a, the founder of the Avengers, the West Coast Avengers, and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, but I want you to think about somebody who's twenty two years old, and if they already. would respect somebody who's you know forty five and has been doing something for twenty years, right. would they really? No, they wouldn't. They would be like, whatever, old man. And Maybe. he doesn't even have to be that old for them to say whatever, old man. It's okay, boomer, if you're over thirty five. True. So. I, I buy that. Um, it was good. It was yeah, good. Yeah, same feeling. It was okay. I, got, it was, I didn't dislike it. I didn't like it. I'll probably read the whole right. thing because it's a miniseries. I, I like this hybrid suit that Hawkeye's wearing. I mean, it's better than the t-shirt. I mean, he's not wearing jeans and a t-shirt. But right. I don't understand why Hawkeye doesn't get to wear a mask anymore. I just think it's weird. I don't know. And I know that's like an old idea, but I just really like... I always liked Hawkeye's mask, but, you know, I feel like superheroes should be running around without a mask on. Yeah, things, you know, movies. And I, I know why they do it, but just, if you're going to go 90% of the way and give him a suit again, give him a mask. Fair enough. He's golfing at the beginning. <laughs> um, uh, we had uh, Superman War World Apocalypse number one. This is 
the end of the story that's been going on in the action comics for some reason went into this uh, one shot to, yeah. to finish the whole thing up. Who knows? I, I, I don't mind this story, but as I was reading this, I was like, you know, I've read every issue of this, mm-hmm. and I didn't know who the fuck anybody was yeah. except for Mongol, Midnighter, and Superman. Like, and not Apollo. a thing. So, and M- yeah, Manchester but, Black. Yeah, but you know, no, what I, I know who he is, but when he was on the page, I didn't know who he was. Yeah. Until somebody said his name, oh, that's him, and and like like something had happened with Apollo where he'd been taken over, and I didn't like nothing about this story stuck. Now, when I was reading it, I wasn't like, this is no good. I don't know what's going on. It's just at the end here, I was like, well, I've completely lost the thread because I basically just watched over the character moments that I knew. Superman was very consistent through the whole thing. Philip Kennedy Johnson's a great writer, and but but like there's a villain there's a turn here where one of the people who has been the good guy all along turns out to have been a traitor but not really actually I like that last part mm-hmm. the way that they handled it but when he turned I was like I don't I have no idea who that is I've never seen that character I in think my that life. happened in the last issue of action yeah. to turn I've read every one of them yeah you and I read every one of these and I I really liked the first half of this story yeah and remember when they had that artist who was sort of like a Conan artist yeah like, he was sort of like very sketchy and looked very sort of. Uh, uh, 70s Conan yeah. the Barbarian like that I was do. when the story was really interesting that guy went away I was hoping he'd come back for this issue but he didn't or at least part of it because this issue had three artists uh, Brandon Peterson or four artists Will Conrad Max Rainer Miguel Mendoca and by the end I think I was in the same boat with you where I was like okay I, I was sort of just getting like get this over with like I was just like get this is all fine and good there was Mongol a- gets killed which happens a lot there was a great issue. Is this that? Is that the one that that guy drew that you're talking about? The one where it's like the story of Mongol. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and, and like it's their world and how the Warzun behave mm-hmm. and his mother is all that. Whole, I think that was that one. That was great. This is just a story that went along. It went on about five issues too long. Probably. I think yeah. it was well done. I just no, it was not bad. I just just, just I, by the end of it, I was like, okay, like th- there, no, was mean, of, like, there was a lot of water treading. I also, yeah, and I, I think that because there wasn't consistent art, it was difficult to tell who was going. It was very frenetic. Like, it was honestly, in this one, I just thought, wow, I've compl- I don't know the thread, but it's actually a really simple story, which leads open the question then. It's like, so what, what, what happens now? Well, here's, that's how the story ends, and Kyle L has returned. He's back, not only back on Earth, he's young again. His hair is all black, unless he's dying it. I think they're going to drop that part of it. They have to. I mean, look, she's, 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 I'm zooming in, his hair's all black. Uh, someone should tell him he's lost his job in the meantime. He went on a very long vacation, and uh, while he was gone, a younger, cheaper employee was hired <laughs> to take his position. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. But I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Like, the story was fine overall. I'm happy he's back. Uh, let's, you know. I liked that. I think that what I, I think what I would get at is that it was a valid attempt, although not all successful, at doing a Superman story in a different context. And was, he was yeah. Superman through there. At no point did you go, this isn't Superman. He right. was Superman through the whole thing. That's what held it all together, I think. And we you said know, for a while it was a very good Elseworlds story. And that's what, at its height, that's what it was. It doesn't even have to be that, though. It's just, what it's I mean just, is the, the tone of it was, it was like Superman, yeah. the barbarian on a planet right. where he had no powers. Like, that's kind of what the story was. And it was, it was interesting for a while. John I just, Carter I of Mars. Too long. So I was talking to you today, yeah. and you and and you know we were talking about how light the week week was and what we were going to put in the show, and you were like, just read GI Joe, GI Joe, Joe, Real American Hero, two ninety seven, read it. Right. And so I went, I got it, and I I I got to the, I scrolled through fifteen covers, and I got to the 
opening and it said part two. I was like, oh, cool. I'll jump into a part two of a story. That's fun. And then it says the final G.I. Joe Real American Hero story arc at IDW Publishing continues. And I went, well, shit, hold on. I didn't know that. I don't think I saw that part. So I was like, well, this is Larry Hama writing the final arc at IDW. This is kind of like the end of G.I. Joe as we know it since we were in kindergarten. Okay, so for backstory, Larry Hama did 155 issues of G.I. Joe at Marvel. Yes. They are awesome. They are so much much better than you think that they would be. Mark Bright or M.D. Bright uh, drew a lot of it. Um, uh, All kinds of great artists. But the point is... This this was supposed this is quote unquote the con, this was the continue the, this IDW run was the continuation of that Marvel run, so I thought, okay, hundred and forty two issues continuation by the way. This is a big deal. So what I did was I went back and I got the previous issue, two ninety six because I thought, well, if this is the final arc, I should probably read the whole arc. So I read two ninety six and two ninety seven today. This one is Larry Hammond. They featured different artists, Andrew Lee. Uh, Griffith and Nethro Diaz were the artists on this issue, and uh, so you only read this one. Yeah, I I didn't I, I didn't realize it was the last one. I didn't catch that part. I just thought there's not a lot, and I was like, you know what? I've been meaning to look at this, and why don't I just pick it up in the middle? Because that's how old school comics. And I was going to do it until Hama. I read it was the final arc. Right. I was totally going to do that. That's fair. So what you've got here is it? <laughs> yes, is a, is a Cobra Casino. Cobra's gotten into the casino business. Is this the issue where Cobra Commander is a greeter at the casino? He seemed to be, yes. Yes, okay. Yes, that made me laugh so hard. Um, <laughs> Cobra's got a casino where they're, they're doing all kinds of nefarious stuff while making money. And um, there's a secret genetic lab in the back. And this, this was expanded more on the previous issue. But they have resurrected Genghis Khan as sort of their new Serpentor. Dr. Mindbender has... And- that was the moment. It was on page one. I was like, oh, Connor's got to read this. Uh, he, he, they, they took the homunculus, which is what they like saying a lot, mm-hmm. and they imbued it with the soul of Genghis Khan, which we saw in the first issue where he dies, and then we saw his whole soul go to heaven. Mm-hmm. And somehow, I guess, Cobra captured it. And, um, and, and the best part is that the entire time, every time he does something that's out of place, Dr. Meinger goes, no, no, I fixed that when I was putting him together. He speaks English now. He knows about modern weapons. Yeah. And I was like, did you notice he's a white guy now? Right, and also too tall. Genghis Khan was famously short. I, I was like, he was definitely an Asian dude. In the first issue, he was different <laughs> artists. He was drawn differently. Right. Um, so there's a, just there's been a big so battle. Doctor Mindbender made him white. Cobra's an evil organization, Josh. It's what they're whitewashing history. So there's a bunch of stuff in here. I actually recognized a lot of it. You know, like not a whole lot, but like like Doctor Mindbender still looks exactly like Doctor Mindbender. Scarlet looks like Scarlet. Like. They don't have movie costumes. Like, no, these right. are the G.I. Joe toy and cartoon costumes, which is fantastic. And so this whole thing's just like a lot of running gun battles as yep. there's a small group of Joes, Scarlet, the Scarlet's leading, that is in the casino, but they're pinned down. So there's, there's another group of Joes, an exfiltration team that's like, first of all, too many heavy gunners. They got Rock and Roll and Roadblock and Gung Ho are all in this exfiltration team. That's three giant machine guns. You don't you well. need to mix it up. Where's your medic? <laughs> and so they... <laughs> They don't need barbecue. They're also pinned down. And so, was it this issue? Or the pre- One of the issues, you know, Scarlet calls for help. So, Duke basically sends everyone. Mm-hmm. And this is the final arc. So, they're going to throw the kitchen sink into this arc. So, like, every Joe is on the way to help rescue Scarlet and her team. Um, so, one thing I found out in this, Josh, really shook me to my core. I know. I know. I, I know what you're going to say. So the whole time, oh, so so Scarlet's got a bunch of ninjas. With ninjas, she's got Jinx. She's got two characters I don't know called. Uh, what were they called? They were ne- like 
ne- Nexus or Nebula. They're, they're two. Yeah, the lady uh, with Helix, the Helix, Helix, and something else. And then Snake Eyes is there, who they and, keep calling Sean. They keep calling him Sean. And I'm, I'm like, wait a minute. Did they find? Did they give Snake Eyes a name finally? Did they reveal his name? And I was like, oh, I hope they didn't do that. Did you go to the Wikipedia? I went to the Wikipedia, and I yeah. wish they'd just done that. No, Snake Eyes is dead. And not only is Snake Eyes dead, he's been dead for like seven years. Where was the big story about that? Where was the press release, IDW? I get all your press releases. Where was the one that said Snake Eyes is dead Dude. and it's been replaced by a guy named Sean? But the best thing was, is like, he does some cool shit. Okay, I didn't know this, by the way, because he looks just like Snake Eye. He's right. like he's wearing, third- a, he's wearing a suit. He's third gen snake eye suit. Right. He's not talking. So I just think, fine. And then at one point, the lady's like, oh, we'll go, me and Sean. And I was like, first of all, even if he isn't snake eyes, you don't call him Sean in front of anybody. Because apparently, the the whole point of this guy was to fool Cobra into thinking that he was still alive. Right. So they need to show a little more name discipline there. Second of all, like at one point, he does some awesome uh, stuff. He goes to yep. fight Genghis Khan, and Genghis Khan's like, you're very good. But you seem like an impersonator. You're a pretender. Like, what is, a what does that pretender. mean? Yeah. And I looked it up at that point, and I was like, "Oh no, we've missed it." I thought I, I looked it up, and I looked at the number. It was. And I was like, "Oh, is that recent?" Like, no, it was like sixty-five issues ago. You know, it was. You know, it was great though. I I just jumped in. Yep. And I was like, this is a G.I. Joe issue. And it was Larry Hama, so it felt like old, but he's good enough that it didn't feel... You know, I, a lot of people who worked on these books can be kind of hacky. The art isn't great. No, the art's not great. It does its job, you know, but it, all, it almost works for me in that way. In, I, one I, you the, know, in one of the issues, I think it was the previous one, Larry Hama got super Larry Hama-y with the, with the um, descriptions of the weapons. Nice. It was like, gung-ho called Roadblock's gun the Ma Deuce. And I was like, there it is. Mm-hmm. And then it was uh, the 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 forty Mike Mike. I was mm-hmm. like, just do it, Larry. I'm gonna do it all. Give it to me. But then I'm, I found out that Snake Eyes was dead, and I don't know what to do with that information. I'm I'm, I'm angry at myself <laughs> for like why wasn't I reading this all along? What <laughs> what on earth would make me not read this all along? He did 150 more issues, as many and as he did in the original run. I know, and I didn't read it. I don't know if I was like, I never finished the original one, so maybe I can't get... That's stupid. Yeah, it was stupid. ridiculous. There's uh, Cobra Commander has a daughter with an eye patch who's named <laughs> Linda or Laura or something. <laughs> well, she had, a son with an, he had a son with an eye patch in the original book. Yeah, yeah. Chris. <laughs> what happens at his house? The kids keep losing eyes. I mean, it's, it's rough growing up in a semi-corporate terrorist oh, conspiracy. Though, I, I just want to... S- Clarify, and this is going to be on our best of the panels. I'm just telling everyone now. You've already seen it if you follow our Instagram, page 35. Cobra Commander strolling through the casino. Here you go, folks. Complimentary tickets to the floor show. <laughs> like that is the logical extension of <laughs> Cobra Commander. And on the bottom of the same page, Laura, what's going on? What's the situation in the lab? It's all fine, Cobra Commander. Genghis Khan has the situation under control. Who? <laughs> no idea. <laughs> And then, the, the, is it the Alley Vipers? They all form up in a phalanx? Yeah. Like the Greeks? Yes. And then and then he's, they have those awesome, like, orange and, or orange and blue shields, and Genghis Khan gets one of those, and yeah. he's talking about his fighting style. He's like, a shield can also be a weapon. I was like, this is great. <laughs> this is bonkers batshit. And it's terrible coloring, yeah, and I bad. don't care. Yeah. It, yeah. It was fine. I think this is like, Larry Hama took up the budget. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine the audience is that big, but they let him do it. So it's like, whatever it takes to get this done. And I'm going to read the whole finish of the arc. I'm going to finish Larry yeah. Hama's story here and see what happens. Yeah. 
So that's all you need to know. A lot of covers. So you're still reading Dogs of London. We have one more issue. This is issue four. Five, five is the final issue. I was surprised to see it on the list because for some reason in my head, I thought it had ended. But no. yeah, Dogs of London from Aftershark. P- Shock. Aftershark. Aftershark. Pete Milligan. Uh, Artisida on art. The, the mono. And you, you're not reading this anymore. I am. Yeah. No, I, okay. I read it. Okay. I read it. Um, it's almost good. It's really interesting. Yes. It's like, like I, you're, you're right. It's almost good, but it is, it is compelling enough where I, I can't quite put my feet. Like, oh, I never I feel bad about having read it, but I'm like, it's no. almost there. It's not quite there here. And this is the issue we find out what happened, which is that these boys, at, when they were all in juvie or whatever, the British version of juvenile, you know, jail is that they were all experimented on and the experiments are what allowed them to live you know, be immortal, basically. The, the, the young, the ones that we got dug up in the first issue. Why no one notices these three guys walking around the streets of London without pupils is beyond me. As we all know, anybody would know that if you, if you see somebody, no pupil in your eyes, what's the rule, Connor? Just put your head down and keep walking. Pretend like it didn't happen. They're, Don't they're get pure involved. evil. They're yeah. pure evil. It, I mean, you know, so you get the stories about, you know, sort of abuse in prison and whether or not a person can actually change because the one guy who is, you know, an old man now who was part of the gang, he's he's not necessarily bad, but you never really lose it. I mean, it was, it was, it's all interesting and almost good. I think that the I, – I think that if you would know a problem, if it'd swim <laughs> up and bite you in the ass. I think that one of the things that is a strength about this is that – the main character and his wife and so, even some of the people around them are are fairly interesting and complex characters on their own. Mm-hmm. And I think that that gives this a lot of weight that lets you get past some of the other parts. But that main character, he's fascinating. Like, he comes yes. to this whole, like, flashback where he's in swinging 60s London and, and he would go to... And this this happened. You know, he's at parties with Mick Jagger. Oh, right. Like, and, like, this is all stuff that happened with the craze and the people around them is that it was yeah. kind of cool for a while until it got to be a little too real well, for those people. it even happened here in the 60s with, like, the Rat Pack hanging out with mobsters and... But I think it was much more upfront. Uh, no, no, I don't it, think... It, I mean, I think that's... That was just the 60s thing. It was just like, how do you... You know, you invite... Benny Siegel to your uh-huh. fucking party, you know, in Hollywood. It just was a cool thing to have these guys who were on the edge. Anyway, I, it's not bad. It's just, I don't, it could be better. Dogs of London. Uh-huh. So while I was gone, you and Ryan uh, talked about Ant-Man number one, and I was listening to that show, and I said, oh, that sounds interesting. I wasn't planning on reading it, but I went back, but I went and read it. And then issue two came this, out this week, Al Ewing and Tom Riley and Jordy Belair, of Ant-Man, and this was less fun only because I don't really care about Eric O'Grady. I never read a book with Eric O'Grady in it. You never read Irredeemable Ant-Man back in no. the day? I liked that book. It was Kirkman with Hester and Parks. Yeah. Um, it just wasn't It wasn't what I expected. I remember, I remember yeah. being... I was really into Kirkman's Marvel stuff at that sure. time. I, I read this, but as I was doing, I don't think I actually read the first issue. I think he talked about it because I had no recollection of this. You disc- no, you both discussed it. The story points and the I art. I honestly there. don't remember it. You, you, it, it took place in I, the sixties, and Wasp was there. You loved Wasp yeah. in the book. You, you, you not, liked the book. I'm not disagreeing with you. Did I'm you have a stroke? I, in a way, maybe you had a um, very targeted stroke that took out only the memory of reading that book. So you definitely read yeah. it. That's fine. 
uh, I'm not, I, like I said, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I genuinely was like, I don't, but it wasn't hard for me to pick up. I know, I know what the, this were. I think, um, the stuff I liked about it was, I think the art was fantastic. Tom Riley really yeah, um, channeled, yeah. channeled that Phil Hester thing. I think that like, he's basically, yeah, his first issue was much more sixties style. This is I more of that. Hester style. I, I love the Ant-Man movies and they're very Ant-Man focused. And I find that when we read superhero comics now and uh, Henry, Hank Pym is in or whoever, it's not much Ant-Man action. We don't actually get to do Ant-Man stuff. And right. this is just Ant-Man. There's ants. He gets small. Uh, he fights uh, Hank Pym, who is a Skrull. This is very marvelly. Well, this takes place... The first issue was in the 60s, you know, the, the, the malleable time of Marvel. This takes place during right before Secret Invasion. So. Right. The the Hank Pym here is is a scroll, and uh, he 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 lets us know it all the time. I think the the Jordi Belair coloring really lends it some quality. I think it makes the art uh, even a little bit better. Um, yeah, I, I I thought there was fun stuff in this uh, as sort of just a little Ant Man story that doesn't have to break the world. The only thing that I I didn't like is that like at some point they can't not do it, but it's just like yep. yeah, but you beat your wife, and I was like, come on, just. It's such it's it's such a bad thing for the character. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a misstep on the character that targets him in a way that like is is it is that is irredeemable. What's interesting, and I don't because you talked about this in the first issue too. Yeah, is you you wrote, very famously wrote an article on iFanboy about that very subject that was like mm-hmm. one of the you know longest comment threads we ever had. We had to shut it down. Mm-hmm. I think you took the opposite tact in that one. I don't remember those. It it's very ago. possible. You 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 grow and change. Yeah, yeah, as as well one should, but I, I think not, now not that you were pro domestic abuse. No, but you again, were like it's, saying, it's not real. Like, get over it. This is part of his character. It's part of his story. You have to deal with it. Like I think that's what you said. I don't remember yeah. putting words in your mouth. And I, I you know, comics the way it is, but I kind of just feel like it's one of those things. Like just just let that one go. Like the baby Parker, like whatever's in the mm. closet. I want Ant Man to. I want Hank Pym to be. I like. I don't mind like his little psychotic break era when yeah. he's yellow jacket and he's a jerk, like we talked about with Avengers Forever. Yeah. But you don't like like you can't beat up Janet Van Dyne and get away with it. Right. Like like he's out then, even if it right. was. And it just like it's just it's a step too far for a character. And because of that, like I don't even know is Hank Pym even alive now? Sure. In Marvel, like I like I feel like I haven't seen him forever. Yeah, I don't know either. But he's got the Scarlet Letter on him. Are you still reading the variants? No. This is the Jessica Jones book written by Gail Simone, written by Phil Noto. I wanted to mention it because, so at this point we got four Jessica Joneses running around from different dimensions, and you know it's fine. I mean, you know, I'm enjoying it fine. It, there's not really a lot happening, if we're being honest. But there's two things we're, I think we're talking about. One is they're not all the same kind of Jessica Jones. Like I know they're all from different dimensions, but they're not all like the same age. Like one of them is young. She's the when Jessica Jones was still Jewel, the character Jewel, not the singer. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're talking, and and the, and our, our Jessica Jones realizes, oh shit, this me has never met Kilgrave. Because oh, wow. at one point Kilgrave is talked about, and she's like, "What's what's a Kilgrave?" And she goes, "Holy!" Sh-, and she's like, she gives her a big hug. She's like, she's. I don't want to say unspoiled because that's not mm-hmm. what I mean. Well, but like she has not been traumatized, traumatized by Kilgrave. And so she's like, it, it really floors our Jessica. That's a great, it was a really great, great scene. Like she's like, oh my yeah. God, you, you haven't gone through what we, the rest of us have gone through. And, and she just gives us a giant hug. And it was a good scene. And so the other thing 
we may have talked about this with the first issue or not. I don't remember, but it's related. Is that n- not in any way to minimize, you know, the experience, but there's got to be a story about Jessica Jones that doesn't involve Kilgrave. Well, see, no, that's interesting. It's such a limiting, w- limiting. Yes, limiting well, you, because it defines her as a victim. Right, and, like, and, and that's and her only. She's been in a lot of comics, usually as a supporting character in the back, right. like taking care of the baby while Luke's doing something because she's sworn off being superhero. But when the when the spotlight turns to her, there has to be something else to deal with other than she's either Luke grief. Cage's wife or or, or, or the victim. That's really, a really good point. And it, as I was thinking when you were saying is that I was comparing uh, Jessica Jones to Hank Pym in that like, but like a, a part of her character. Is that like like it is integral it changed to who her she from, is from Jewel right. to who she is now? But and that is f- important. And don't den- don't deny it or ignore it. But also, let's tell a new story. Maybe something else. Yeah, no, I think Just it's a really good anything point. else. Like her whole thing. Does, like it'd be like if every single story was about how Peter Parker let his Uncle Ben get. Wait, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you, I think it's a really good point. Those are the comics we wanted to talk about. I only read eight, eight or nine books this week, and that was when I added mm-hmm. on the G.I. Joes, so it was a very small week. Um, but over at patreon.com slash ifanboy, the patrons can vote to add a book to the rundown, and those patrons, in an overwhelming fashion, voted for Amazing Fantasy 1000, which was also the pick of the week. I so, did not know that when I picked it. I know. I, I was I aware that. that it might be, but... I know. So let's do ratings on it, since we already talked about it. Ratings on Amazing Fantasy 1000. I'm going to give it a five out of five. I don't think I can give it a five if all the stories aren't fives. That's all right. I think the overall feeling I had when reading it was a five feeling. I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with four four point seven five. I'm gonna I'm gonna And obviously that, we that, can't that, stick with it because it's a one shot special. And look, yeah. we're 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 hitting written some big Marvel anniversaries. This is sixty for Spider Man. So let's do this yeah. for you know, let's get our let's get our tribute issue to the Fantastic Four and you know, let's get them all in. I there. mean I think you got to give credit to the editor, whoever sort of got these stories together and made sure that the right ones were going in here. Oh yeah, for I think sure. It covered it covered a great gamut of stuff. Um, you know, kept you interested the whole way through, and it was unexpected. A lot of it was sort of unexpected kind of stuff. So, but well n- no more of these numbering shenanigans from Marvel. They're it's, really the, think, the worst offenders. It's just the world as I accept it now. I can't. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. Any patron vote on the book to the rundown, but if you give it the $5 or higher level, you get a superpower live on the show. Josh's turn to bestow it. Adam Bushell, Bushel, Bushel. Uh, can fix any major problem, hmm. but only for an hour. Expl- okay. So, this guy is going down to Mississippi. He fixes the water. Right. But the water's only fixed but for, for an, an hour. hour. But... From that time, you can people can see that it can be fixed. How much better it would be if it was fixed, and and right. they could even learn how to fix it because he's getting he gets it fixed right. one way or another, and so it can it can light the way. He could fix uh, global climate change for an hour for one hour, and then and then it, yeah. So it it's uh it's a big deal, and it shows you what you're missing because the thing is. You know, when stuff changes badly slowly, you don't realize what a difference it is. Right. You know, uh, if, if, if you have like a debilitating injury or something like that that takes years to happen, you get used to it. You live with it, you know, but you get a fix for an hour or so. You're like, I can't believe I'm living like this. And then maybe that makes you change the thing. That's, that's so what his story is. That's he, his CBS hour long drama story. So he, you get a flat tire, he fixes your tire, but an hour later it's going to blow again. 
I mean, he could use it for that kind of thing. I was thinking about bigger things, but yes. That, but he, could, he could go. I'm just asking. He, if he, could, get, he, could, he could get you home. Mm-hmm. You know? Or, you know, there's a tornado comes back. He can, he can fix your house for an hour. Yeah. All right. He's, he's, he's like a different kind of uh, our man. Exactly. Exactly. This, this, his, his whole thing is pretty much wrapped into moral and uh, practical lessons, though. <laughs> Patreon.com slash iFanboy. That's where you can give the $5 or higher level and get a superpower on the show like Adam. And again, I'll mention, you know, we're getting close to getting current, getting live with the patrons after all these years. It's been like five years doing these powers. But if you have someone who over the years has given, and not recently, not in the last six months, but prior to that have either upgraded your power, your your, your contribution to over $5 or gave it $5 and never got your power, please email us, contact at ifanboy.com because we could have missed you. Patreon is a complicated beast. And so if we've missed your power, please email us and we will add you to the list. We'll get it, we'll get it done. That all happens at patreon.com slash ifanboy. It's the best way to help the show. Those are the people that, people that keep us going, keep the bills paid, keep the time being uh, worth it, and also uh, unlock great things that everyone gets to enjoy. All the different shows we do, the Splodes, the family of Splode shows, Talksplode, Booksplode, Mediasplode, all those shows are unlocked by the patrons. The videos on YouTube, all you know, other things that I've forgotten. The the patron the patron hangout. I think that was a stretch goal. Like all those things, uh, we're all unlocked by the patrons. We have other goals. We're going to get to them as soon as things get less hectic in the personal lives. We'll we'll have some time to actually sit down and look at that. But you know, one day we we'll, maybe we'll have a quarterly barbecue show. Well, maybe one day we'll uh, we'll get to meet up at conventions again. Who knows? All those wow. things are stretch goals. Patreon.com slash iFanboys where they all happen. So we thank everyone's a patron. Even if you're a $1 patron, you do really make a difference. And we do appreciate it. iFanboy.threadless.com is where our t-shirts are found. I mean, our designs are on other things, but mostly on t-shirts. It's what people buy for the most part. 12 designs on there, including our most recent design, the Gosh shirt, the good old superhero shirt, which was appropriate for mini comics this week. Thanks for buying t-shirts. Fanboy.com slash support is our digital chip jar. If you just want to throw a couple bucks in the tip jar or a couple million bucks if you're an eccentric billionaire. And think it'd be funny. It would be really funny. Tell your friends that your next eccentric billionaire hangout poker game where you smoke Cuban cigars and eat endangered meat. Say, I just gave this podcast $10 billion. Isn't that funny, guys? Ha, 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 ha. Very funny, <laughs> sir. <laughs> Fanboy.com slash Amazon. That's where you can shop. You can find our Booksplode books. You can shop there, and you can help the show out that way. And finally, bookshop.org is our partner. And when you, when appropriate, on the website, you'll find links to find, to shop for books via bookshop.org, which is a great organization that helps independent bookstores in the United States. And I'm a supporter. I buy my books through them. It's a great way to help stores. So thanks to all the people who help us out and support the show. It really does help keep us going. It helps pay the bills. And uh, thank you. And guess what? Do it. We have email time. We I do. was a little worried there for a second between Amazing Fantasy and G.I. Joe, but we're, we're getting there. I told you. I said, read G.I. Joe. You were worried about time. I said, read G.I. Joe. We'll get 10 minutes. I wasn't wrong. Corey from Cleveland, Ohio says, I've been thinking about this question since May 2nd, 2008. With all the time we don't get to see what the characters are doing in the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, how has Kevin Feige and Marvel Comics not put out an official Marvel MCU-centric series? I've always wanted to see more missions. The Avengers went on between each movie. What were the remaining heroes doing during the blip, etc.? Seems like it's a recipe to print money. Okay. So I would have my reasons why it probably doesn't exist. 
and they would be these. One, uh, comics and uh, movies, comics and studios are unrelated, and I don't think comics would want to take any thunder away from something they might do in a movie or a TV show at some point. They don't want to use that I think up. that's the number one reason, is yes. that uh, the last thing a filmmaker wants to do is be beholden to something some comic writer did. Yeah. You know, they want to be able to have the freedom to tell whatever story they want, which is why I always laugh when people say, well, this isn't Star Wars continuity. Well, it is until they hire somebody who doesn't want to do it. Right. But that way. Um, there's, there's that and the fact that, I mean, like, the comic book audience is so infinitesimal compared to movies, and there's not necessarily a crossover. I think if one thing we've learned through all this uh, since uh, before May 2nd, 2008, which was when Iron Man came out, if you mm-hmm. can catch that reference, uh, is that comics don't drive or movies don't drive comic book sales. They can sell some trades depending mm-hmm. on what it is, but they don't they don't send people into comic shops. They don't lead issues. Like they do, but not in a significant way, not in a way that changes anybody's lives. You know. Right. That that's over. So it's the reward is small potatoes. Uh and and you know, Feige's gotta put his energy into this other thing and, yeah, and he's he, not gonna I mean well, he he oversees a lot of stuff probably more than people realize. But Yes. I just think I think mainly they they want to the studio. I mean, this is all speculation. We're all just speculating here. Sure. Uh, I think the studios people want to run their movies and their TV shows, and they don't want to worry about comics getting infringing on that in any way, in any possible way. Like you know, a writer tells a story. This is what uh, Bruce Banner was doing between the movies, and then suddenly they, that infringes on the She-Hulk TV show. Like that, they don't want to do mm-hmm. that. And so then what you're left with is. A bunch of comics that are just, just basically the, like the ones you're already doing monthly anyway, or they're yeah. just and they're just references to other things than they are on their own. They're not great, great stories. I mean, I mean, here's the other thing: I don't want those comics. Yeah, I, like at all. I, the, um, one of the one of the problems that I think we have in pop culture is the constant filling of every hole. Every little mystery mm-hmm. has to be revealed and solved right. and whatever. You know, the the movies. Leave it they to your exist imagination. in this way that is super fun, but at least there's space in them now. Yeah, that doesn't exist in comics, and I think that that is the thing that makes them better. You don't realize it, but you know, if if, if I'm thinking back, you know, Connor and I as as you know, Star Wars kids, it was better when we didn't know everything and we had to speculate about it, and there wasn't somewhere that explained everything. And yes, it was super super fun when they started to do that. You know, <laughs> when those '90s Star Wars novels came out, yep. and we were like, oh my god, but you know, too much of a good thing is too much of a good thing. And I think, I think you got a point, but I, I think the reward would be a lot less than you think it, it would be. I, I think comics like this would, would be uh, ultimately underwhelming. Cause it's not yeah, the same. You'd also be stuck with the characters you've got. Like they could never introduce anybody new because again, that'd be infringing upon the filmmakers. You know, like you couldn't have gotten like a Nate, you know, the Avengers fighting Namor or Dr. Doom because they got to let the filmmakers do that. I mean, what I want is a great story that's told in the medium that it was designed for. Yeah. You know, I want the experience. I don't want, you know, uh, the infinitesimal detail. Like, I don't know. I, I know why people like it, and I've definitely been in the position where I am, and sometimes it works great. But on the whole, eh. There's also so much Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff right now. There's, by the way, the last thing that he wrote, it seems like there's a recipe to print money. If you know a recipe to print money yes. in print comics, then you should call someone because literally, literally, nobody in comics knows what to do with it right now. 
I mean, they're not, making money. They're definitely making money. They, they are. They're making money. They're having great sales. A lot of small publishers are doing great. But picking out the formula, it used to be, hey, Jim Lee's going to draw this, 300,000 right. comics. I'll, but I also would say that licensed books have never been a recipe to print money, even from the big two. Like in the 90s yeah. when comics were, were selling like gangbusters and the Batman the Animated Series was huge on TV, nobody bought that book. Mm-hmm. Nobody, nobody bought the tie-in book. It was great. It was a legitimately great comic. But nobody bought it because licensed books have never really sold. They're different audiences. Yeah. They're just different audiences. The people who are going, people who watch the movies are not the people going into the shops. Now, the people going to the shops are also going to the movies, but it, it doesn't work the other way around. They, they just they want to read the books that count. Anthony said, from... Do you, do you remember, like, literally, you know, we're 20 plus years and more than 86, you know, they sold some some Batman comics back then, but we're nearly 40 years into this idea like well this will drive people into the shops and i think everybody understands now that that finally isn't gonna because we used to complain you know in the early 2000s we were doing iFanboy actually yeah. through you know like oh man they should give away comics in the theaters and it's like they've done it yep it doesn't it's not a thing I, i'm sorry <laughs> enjoy it yeah this next email is gonna be for all our billionaire listeners josh why don't you read it in, a, in an accent since you haven't done an accent in a long time i haven't all right anthony from maine says I listened to a podcast that explained how billionaires avoid paying income taxes. Warren Buffett justifies his by doing uh, by saying he spends his money philanthropically to the benefit of a of a nation more smiley than the U.S. government could. You think Bruce Wayne, Tony Stark, and Oliver Queen pay their fair share of taxes because they believe it's the right thing to do, or do they avoid paying taxes, justifying that uh, as allowing them to spend more money on their superheroics and whatnot? Uh, and those are the teams that they're on. <laughs> How that was? Did that work that out for you? That was great. Okay, thank you. That was great. Um, <laughs> I think that uh, I actually I actually thought about this earlier today. Well, well, after I saw the script. Wait, wait, wait. How long? I mean, just a few, I, I, I didn't have I haven't had the script for for days. It was only okay. like a few months. Oh. Um, you do what you can. I don't think Bruce Wayne or Tony Stark or Oliver Queen cheat on their taxes. Although Tony Stark might. But I also don't. I, I think they have people that are minimizing their tax liability, <coughs> which is sure. Which is what everyone does. Everybody, no even even people with money, like 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 even good people, like that's what you do. What my instinct with this was that like in these worlds, these guys have so much money that it doesn't matter. Sure. Like oh, yeah. that like, to me, like every billionaire. Right, like, like, but even this, like, Batman is has more money than the richest person on Earth in our real world. Oh, you think he's you think he's more than a hundred billion dollars? Oh, I think he's I think he's inexhaustibly wealthy. He's Saudi family. Interesting. Rich. Well, that's, that's, that's how I, mean, I think. They say of he's like a, in, the, in the single billion digits, like six or six or seven or eight billion. I know, but if you if you do that, if you if you look at educate yourself, Connor, read okay, up, watch okay. some YouTube videos. All right. I mean, like. The money that he's spending is pretty significant. He's doing he's doing his own jet research and manufacture True. on a one off you know basis. Uh, you know, I, I just I think that with these guys, you have to accept the fact that unless this is the story you're telling, which is almost always bad, money's not a problem. Like the amount, right, like think, you, yeah, you never want to do the math on the money. Just like you don't want to do the math on the ages and the and the you know the whatever. Just. So, I think they're they're, they're my, paying their they're paying their taxes. Yep. But like like everyone, they've got it. They've got a whole, you know, Wayne, the Wayne Foundation has a whole accounting team that's job is to minimize tax liability. Because that's and what I their bet job that, is. I, and I bet though that that would be largely about um, 
maximizing the the philanthropic things that the Wayne Foundation. Well, sure, the Wayne Foundation is just a giant tax shelter. But but no, but it actually because he's a good dude, it actually does good. I also suspect that I'm think I'm thinking this out as if Mm -hmm. I was writing it. I also think that all of the Bruce Wayne Batman money has to be so disconnected from the Bruce Wayne family money that there almost isn't a link. You mean the Lucius Fox money? Yeah, like you Um, couldn't have someone figure it out, right? He can't be. He can't be raiding the Wayne Foundation money to pay for another creative batterings. Right. right. He can't right. be doing that. That has to be a separate thing. Which leads to the question: What ethical investments would Batman be able to make to continue? Ha- like he's okay. He has to be cooking the books somehow. <laughs> well, that was the whole plot in uh, Dark Knight with yeah. the, the accountant who figured out he was Batman. Right, but the, but because okay. he was cooking the books, right? So he has to. There's no way. Okay, Frank Miller's ahead of me by four, no, no, no. Th- that was, four, that was uh, Christopher Nolan. Oh, oh, oh! You're right. You're right. Okay. So that's not canon. So let's say in this world, though, in comic, like, there's no way you can do that without cooking the books. So therefore, he is, he is defrauding the government. They're to some they're extent. doing shady business just to keep their identity secret for sure. Yes. Although everyone knows Tony Stark's Iron Man, so he doesn't need to do and, that. And Oliver Queen is good too, isn't he? Isn't Oliver Queen known? Pa- no, I don't think so. Not anymore. I don't think they spend much too. time on Oliver Queen as a person. Outside well, Oliver of- Queen now is is since ba- since Bruce Wayne is quote unquote broke. Oliver Queen is now the guy who funds everything. So it's always like it used to be with Batman paid for everything. Now it's now it's Oliver Queen. Yeah, but he doesn't seem limitless because he talks about it. Like he's the guy who's going. You know, I'm paying for all this. So yeah. there's there is some. Some some notion of it. Yeah. There's no way he's that. You know, I I guess in that way, and I think it is philanthropic in its way. But he's definitely not paying his fair share directly to the federal government. Sure, he couldn't be. I bet Stark is. Yeah, he probably cheats a little bit. Yeah, but it's more like it's more like because it's a fun game. That's a game. He wouldn't go to jail for it. He's doing. He's not breaking laws. He's Iron Man. There's I don't just, think Tony Stark is breaking laws, but I think that Bruce Wayne is breaking laws. Oh, you but think, it's, I don't think he is. He has to. He'd have to. He, you're talking about you know minimum billions and billions of dollars going to this other thing, like that has to be secret. I don't see how you do that without. Well, it just depends on what whose money is. I mean, also, I don't think in. Oh my god, I can't believe we're having this conversation. Oh I, my god, it's so good. I don't think in the comics. That the that Bruce Wayne's companies are public, like they are in the movies. Like the movies, okay. then you're talking about tons and tons of SEC. That's a that's an SEC excellent violations. Point. I don't. I think it's a private company in in yeah. in uh, the comics. But even then, he'd have to keep his personal money separate from his from his company money. Right. He's definitely keeping it separate from the foundation money. So he must have three tranches. Although I don't, you know, unless they he's, make- he's the if he's the primary. You know, owner of the Wayne Enterprises, he could pay himself whatever he wants in order to cover, the, you know, his Batman bills. Okay, so let's say, and we're not accountants. No. By the way, there was a real point here where we stopped doing the show, and we are working <laughs> I on. We're still recording. We are right, and we're working on this problem. Time be damned. All right, so let's say the Wayne Foundation. We'll just break this into simple numbers. Makes a billion dollars. The company keeps uh, uh, eight hundred million. Fa- no, no, not, not not the foundation. Wayne Enterprises. 
All right, whatever. Wayne Enterprises right. it keeps, you know, the, we'll say 50%. It keeps, you know, uh, 50 million of it, 500 million. And then Bruce Wayne gets paid. Wait, keeps it from what? Like keeps it as their profit or revenue. Well, tax, I mean, taxes is only 20%. Right. And they pay the tax on that or whatever. Right. But then the salary that gets paid out to Bruce yeah. is, you know, 200 million. Right. Once the, Bruce gets his yeah. 200 million and then he pays his taxes on that individually. Right. Can he spend that money on anything he wants it's without having it be traded? I know, but like, yeah. Yeah. like, is there is does he have to keep any documentation of what he spends that money on? No more than anybody else does. All right. So, so there whatever he pays himself as the basically sole owner of Wayne Enterprises, he can do whatever he wants. He can buy as many batarangs as his heart desires. Right, but if for some reason the IRS came after him, well, that was this is the whole stupid reasoning behind Lucius Fox now having the money is that the government might figure out your Batman now because they're watching you. Right. So that it just it's stupid. You can't think about it too much. No. That's that's what it that's basically where we're at. Cuz it ruins it. But, you know, they they pay their taxes. Fair Andy, share. That, what, who's to say what's fair? That's a wicked good question, Anthony. Contact@fanboy.com <laughs> is how Anthony wrote in. Thanks for writing in. You can write in for this show or for the Media Splode show. If it's for Media Splode, please put your Nay, uh, put Media Splode in the subject title and don't have it be about comic books or anything related to comic books cuz it's a non-comics show. Let's talk about this month, September. We have two, I think we only have two extra shows this month. I'm not positive, but I think we only have two. If you're lucky. We have our Media Splode show coming out either this week or next. We haven't really figured that out, but it's going to be our Old Man on Old Movies episode reviewing the Poseidon Adventure Original. from 1974. What year was American Graffiti? Two. So this is 1973 because it's the year after. Which means next next month we'll do a 1975 movie. It, this, uh, I know for sure the Poseidon Adventure came out a year after American Graffiti. Okay, so, so American Graffiti is, is, American is actually 73. I was wrong. So then 74 it's is four. Poseidon Adventure. So that'll come out this month, and then maybe it'll be a Toxplode. We'll see. But that'll be the, the only extra shows. Which means the next big thing to look forward to is October. October 7th will be the pick of the week, 850, live. We'll be recording that live. We'll be doing it over YouTube like we always do. Um, it'll start at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. Probably that's when they usually start. And that means now, starting now, you can start sending your emails in for episode 850. That means write into contact.fanboy.com with the subject line 850 to get your email live on the show. And as if, if you're new to the show and you've been only coming here for the last year, on the big anniversary shows, the 50s and the zeros, we do a no-holds-barred three-hour-ish all-media Oh, I'm sorry. All email show. It's so hot. I'll talk about that in a second. Um, <laughs> so we're looking forward to that. It'll be me and Josh and probably Ryan Haupt, although we haven't talked to him about it yet, but we're looking forward to doing our all email show live with you watching along in the chat room. We'll be talking about it every week until then. Pick of the week, 8.50 live, October 7th, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. Email to, email to us with 8.50 in the subject line. Fair enough. You can find all of our shows over at ifanboy.com as well as the archive of years of great comic book writing from our many varied and talented staff. You can find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out, the one that you're listening to now. So therefore, you could have found out had you gone to at ifanboy on Twitter, at ifanboycomics on Instagram. You can follow us individually, uh, C.S. Patrick and J.A. Flanagan on Instagram. You can subscribe to our YouTube page where our entire available video show library uh, is up at youtube.com slash ifanboys and we uh, post this show there every week too if, if you were like man I don't like listening to this on this convenient device I'd rather listen to it uh, with a still 
image on YouTube. Well, good news. Although they're starting a podcast thing, so maybe it's yeah. going to be better. You're looking at that. That's all. Hey, if you like the show, consider leaving a review or a star rating on Apple Podcasts, which is where most people listen to it, but anywhere you listen to the show, or even if you listen to it on YouTube, give it a thumbs up or whatever they do on YouTube. That's how people find the show. It's how the algorithm works. We do appreciate that from everybody who does so. It only takes a moment. Even better than that's word of mouth. Tell your friends and your family and your boss and the guy in the street and anybody you run into, really. Tell them, tell them that we sent you and we'd like you to listen. It helps spread the word. We do appreciate that. I am dying. You know what? Put your air conditioner back on before we end the show right. so they can understand. I don't know if anyone realizes this, but it's Southern California is melting. And, uh, so that, that is what it sounds like yeah. if you have an air conditioner on. It's not even blowing out cold air yet. It just started to be fair, blowing I hot can, air on me. This is, if I put mine on, mm-hmm. you can't hear it because my mic is incredibly good at breaking is uh at, at um taking get, getting rid of background noise mine it's as well the air conditioner is next to the microphone so that's fair i'm in a larger room it so. um it's like 105 degrees I, I i've been sitting here at night in a puddle of sweat um I, i've been feeling drops roll down my chest down my leg down my back it's just been awful and that's, i i just hate this and i hate everything not you oh. though <laughs> or you me josh or the okay. listeners but i hate the world when it's hot. Anyway, thanks for listening. I'm Connor. I'm Josh. Thanks, everyone. Bye.